Welcome, everybody. I'm Rick Duggan, founding pastor here. Don't get me confused with Dale Pascura, because after the first service, somebody went up to Dale Pascura, and they said, oh, that was a great message today. Thank you very much. Anyway, Dale and I have the similar haircut and beard and all that. And welcome to you that are watching online. We're very glad that you're with us today. So some people that have not been taught so well as followers of Jesus hear this statement and they just accept it. It's like 100% true. Others who have been discipled and taught pretty well as followers of Christ, they hear the statement and they go, absolutely not true at all. And when you hear this statement, um, uh, parts of it are kind of, sort of, maybe true, and parts of it are absolutely not true at all. So what is the statement? It is God helps those who... There you go. God helps those who help themselves. And really the emphasis of that statement is, you know, self-initiative, take charge, get going. Uh, it's like a kick in the seat of the pants for us. Um, you know, help yourself. That's the idea here. 75% of Americans, both in and out of church, think that this phrase, this statement is actually in the Bible. What's fascinating to me is 81% of people that go to church actually think that this is in the Bible. And guess what? It's not in the Bible, okay? This is not a statement in the Bible anywhere. So it is important that we actually know what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. Uh, Jesus said about the Bible, he was praying to God, and he goes, thy word or your word is truth. And then he also says... And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, God helps those who help themselves is kind of a half-truth. And Jesus didn't say, and you shall know the half-truth, and the half-truth will set you free. So it's important that we actually understand. You know, in our creative meeting, uh, we were talking about this message, and Josh Stone, who teaches here, he said that his grandmother taught him this. A half-truth is a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. Josh Stone's grandmother. So if it's not in the Bible, where did it come from? Right? Where did it come from? Who was, who was that said, God helps those who help themselves? Well, the saying come, uh, occurs first in ancient Greek literature. You, you remember Aesop's fables? Uh, Hercules and the Wagoner. A man is driving a wagon with a heavy load along a muddy road. He comes to a part of the road, and the wheels sink deeper and deeper down into the mud. And the more the horses pulled, the deeper the wheels went. And so the Wagoner, you know, threw down his whip. He hit his knees, and he prayed to Hercules. And he says, Hercules, lift my wheel from the mud where tis stuck. And Hercules laughed, no such luck. Set your shoulder yourself to the wheel. And then comes Aesop's takeaway. The gods help those who help themselves. So this originates in ancient Greek pagan literature. And let a lot of people think it's right in the Bible. Benjamin Franklin was one who made it popular in the Western world. Uh, he talked about it in Poor Richard's Almanac. He was actually talking about taxes, you know, and, and taxes can be bad, but taxes can be good. But what he was really saying is that the worst tax that you will ever pay is the tax for laziness. And then he says, let us hearken to good advice and something may be done for us. God helps them that help themselves, as poor Richard says in his almanac of 1733. 
So this is just a little bit of the history of where this came from. Benjamin Franklin, by the way, was a deist. Dios is a word for God. And, and so he believed that there is a God, but he's not a God who's actively involved in the world. He kind of created everything and then stepped back and he said, you guys can fend for yourselves now. That's what a deist believes. So not only does this phrase not occur in the Bible, it was popularized by somebody who did not hold to historic Christian faith at all. So why do people say this? Well, there are many reasons, and we're going to dive into three of those today. So when you hear God helps those who help themselves, when you're tempted to say God helps those who help themselves, I hope you'll have three responses. And here's the first one. God helps those who help themselves. No, 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 no. Be helpless. We need to be helpless. See, see, there's one way to use this phrase that actually is the absolute most damaging way to use it because it has eternal consequences. See, if we believe that God helps people that help themselves when it comes to salvation, then we have a gross misunderstanding of the nature of faith and works. God helps those who help themselves when it comes to salvation, absolutely, 100%, totally false. You know, this um, November will mark my 40th year in Christian ministry. 40 years. Can you believe it? Well, don't, hey, no, no, don't applaud me. Uh, Dick Seawright was in the last service, and he's got 50 years in Christian ministry, okay? So I'm still a rookie. Um, but I wish I knew how many times when I asked this question, if you were to die today and you stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Think about that a minute. You're dying, you're standing before God. He says, why should I let you know my heaven? What would you say? Well, that question is designed to help a person understand what they're trusting in for salvation. And, and, and I've heard so many times, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a good person. Um, I, I go to church, um, I say my prayers, um, I, I read my Bible, uh, I, I give money. Uh, I, I, I try to make sure that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And if you say that kind of stuff, then what you're doing is you're trying to help yourself when it comes to salvation. You've bought the lie. God helps those who help themselves, so God will help me be saved if I help myself enough by doing enough good. Well, when it comes to our greatest need, which is our rescue from death and hell and grave and sin, then there's nothing we can do to save ourselves because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. The Bible says all of your righteousness, all the good stuff that you do is like filthy rags to God because he's so high, he's so holy, he's so pure. See, the Bible says that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. If you could earn your way to heaven, you'd break your arm, patting yourself on the back when you got there. Right? When it comes to our greatest need, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are utterly unable to find true spiritual peace through our own efforts. Sometimes when I'm talking with people about this, I'll just draw a big chasm. And, and we'll put us over here, and then I'm going to draw a triangle to represent God because he's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And there's this chasm between us and God. And what separates us from God, the Bible says, is our sin, our rebellion against God. All the things that we've done that we know we shouldn't have done, all the things we don't do that we should do, all of that is sin. And some of us think, well, you know, I'm going to jump over this chasm with my good deeds and I will impress God. I will do all this good stuff and God will be happy with me. But the idea is, if that's the Grand Canyon over there and I'm over here, no matter how fast I run, no matter how far I run, if I come over here and I try to launch myself across the Grand Canyon, I'm not going to make it, right? I will experience death. I'm not going to make it. So you can't be good enough to impress God. It's impossible. And so what did God do? Well, Romans chapter 5, he says, For while we were still weak, helpless, hopeless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So what happens is Jesus comes, lives the life we could never live, he dies on the cross, and he takes our sin in his body on the cross. He builds a bridge to God. He dies. We don't have to die. And now we have access to God. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we need to embrace this idea of being helpless. God helps those who cannot help themselves when it comes to salvation. And so you got to say to yourself, I'm not going to let this half-truth, God helps those who help themselves, rob me of my salvation. Now, there, there, there's, a, there's a young man in our church named uh, David Gutting. And, and we're going to play a little video for you. And I want you to listen to how he used to believe that he had to work for his salvation and then what happened to change his mind. Take a listen to this. Coming from my past, I wasn't good enough. I couldn't be good enough. Um, but coming to CVC and, and diving into the Bible, you realize you don't have to be good enough. John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, I mean, all of this time I've been trying to be good enough and do everything that I need to do and, and I don't need to worry about it because I believe in Jesus and Jesus came to save us. All this time I was trying to be good enough. And that's exactly where some of you are in this room. That, maybe it's why you even came to church today. Maybe if I go to church, God will give me a pass. And God is waiting on us to realize that we're helpless and hopeless. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, you can go up to a dead person. You could go, help yourself. And guess what? He's not going to be able to do it because he's dead. And before Christ, you're dead in trespasses and sins. And that's why we need God to help the helpless because he enlivens us. He gives us new life. He, he gives us the new birth. He, he restores us 
He, he taints a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. And then we can respond to God and walk across the bridge that Jesus made because God helps those who cannot help themselves. I want you to see a prayer today. And maybe this is the prayer that some of you need to pray. Lord God Almighty, you are the helper of the helpless. And I admit there's nothing I can do to save myself from my sins. Therefore, I place my trust in Jesus who died on the cross so my sins can be forgiven, who rose from the dead so that I can be clothed in his righteousness, and who fits me for heaven to live with him there. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe that's your prayer today. And if you prayed that prayer, Therese, can I have that little program right there? Thank you. If you pray that prayer in your program, there's a box you can check, and you can let us know Put it in the offering basket when it comes by a little later because we would love to help you take your next steps in following Christ. We're helpless when it comes to salvation. But God helps those who cannot help themselves. So first, be helpless. Second idea is to be dependent. To be dependent. I want you to think with me. What is it that you are trying to accomplish and you need help? You need help from God. Let's make a list. Give me some practical things, stuff that you really want to see God do for you that you can't do for yourself. Talk to me. What do you want to see God do? All right, keep my heart beating. All right, that's good. All right. Save my children. And I heard somebody, oops, that's an end. Um, I heard somebody say, what back here? Addiction? Heal me from addiction? Somebody else? Say it again. To do his will. All right, heal me from trauma. Boy, the more I'm reading about trauma, the more I understand that many of us in this room have been impacted very deeply by stuff that happened to us as, as kids. One of every four women probably suffered some kind of sexual abuse. Yeah, healing from trauma. What else? I heard somebody over here. All right, more strength. Strength for what? Be specific. All right, all right, all right, so. All right, I'm not looking for Sunday school answers here, people. I, I, I don't want to pick on you, but I, I'm not looking for Sunday school answers. Resist temptation. All right, I'm not going to ask you specifically for what. <laughs> I don't want to get that specific, okay? All right, get out of debt. Now we're talking. All right. <laughs> Get a raise. Okay, I'm running out of space. Now, you're just sitting on a roll. You know what a Sunday school answer is, right? A Sunday school answer is uh, <laughs> the right answer, yeah. You know, y'all probably heard the story, right, about the little kid who was in Sunday school, and the teacher said, hey, guys, what's that little furry animal with a big bushy tail, and he climbs on trees, and he stores nuts for the winter? What is that? The little kid said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but since we're in Sunday school, I'm going to say Jesus. <laughs> Right? <laughs> That's a Sunday school answer. 
We're getting real here. Get out of debt, get a raise. I thought of some things in advance. How about launch a new business? How about find a relationship? I'm looking for a guy, I'm looking for a girl. How about publish a book? How about write a song that the whole world will sing? How about start a ministry? How about get a new job? How about see a child or a spouse turn back to God? Here's my question. Look at this in that list. Are we really, truly God-dependent? God-dependent. A little bit later in the service, uh, I'm going to ask you guys, we're going to open up the front. If you want to come up and kneel and pray and ask God to do something for you, you cannot do for yourself. There's nothing sacred about coming up front, but sometimes we need to demonstrate in a physical way our dependence on God. So we'll give you an opportunity to do that a little bit later. Um, be dependent. Now, I need to hear this because I tend to be type A, high D, can do, get her done guy. That's me. And when I hear God helps those who help themselves, I can focus on the help themselves part and forget about the God helps part. And so I can fall easily into kind of a pride-saturated sin of self-rule and self-reliance. And that's pretty ugly. You know why? It's practical atheism. It's like living your life as if there is no God. And that's just stupid, right? So God's kind of saying, oh, you, you, you want to help yourself without getting help from me? Okay, go ahead. Let's just see what you could do on your own. That's just not very smart, right? It's ugly. And maybe this is the reason why some of us are feeling stressed and stuck. Now, now, God helps those who help themselves is, can stir up in us a sense of urgency and initiative, and we are supposed to be proactive, and that can be a good thing if it's handled correctly because some of us, quite frankly, we're not helping ourselves like we're supposed to be helping ourselves. You might not be stuck because of self-reliance. You might be stuck because you're not taking initiative. You might be stuck because you're just lazy. The Bible is full of verses that talk about helping yourself. Several months ago, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and there there's a verse that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Work hard. Recently, we went through the book of Proverbs, and there's a verse in Proverbs that says, uh, the hand of the diligent makes rich, but poor is he who works with a negligent hand. So be diligent. And Jesus himself said, work, work while it's day, because night is coming when no one can work. The end of times is coming. Your death is coming. So work while it's daytime. And Paul often talks about this issue. Colossians 3.23, he says, uh, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So the Bible is full of words like labor, strive, make every effort, Press on. I mean, there's all kinds of words like that. But you can help yourself in a way that will be ultimately destructive. There's a self-sufficient way to help yourself that leaves God out of the equation. And then there's a God-dependent way to help yourself that lets God in to the situation. Zechariah chapter 4. Not by might, not by power, but by 
your spirit. Thus says the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. And, and let not the mighty man, trying to help himself, boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let he who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me. Thus says the Lord. So we need to work and labor and strive and be diligent while trusting in the Lord to do what we cannot do. 25 years ago, I heard a message from John MacArthur, and it kind of stuck with me. He's a pastor out in California. And he said that um, as we grow as followers of Jesus and as we try to stay on this highway, you might call the highway of holiness, the highway to heaven, uh, there are two ditches that we need to avoid. On one side is a ditch called pietism, and on the other side is a ditch called quietism. Quietism. Uh, that was something that was made popular by the Keswick Convention. It's a group of Christians that met together in England in the 19th century to figure out how does sanctification work. So quietists love to say things like, let go and let God, and I can't and he can. And, and certainly there's some truth to those things, but if you take those things to an extreme, what it does is it creates a passivity in the lives of believers uh, and gets them off a hook for being responsible for things like discipline and, and, and godliness and the pursuit of holiness. And so I just want to name a few authors here, okay? And I'm sorry if I'm picking on one of your favorites, but watch out for people that come out of the quietest movement like Major Ian Thomas and Hannah Whittle Smith and Charles Finney and Hannah Hernard and, and Andrew Murray. Watch out for some of these guys. So read them, okay? But Eat the meat and spit out the bones because there's some quietism bones in some of what they're doing. And some of this, uh, you know, reflective listening prayer, all that business comes out of quietism. Be careful about that. The other ditch is pietism. And the emphasis here is on discipline and sacrifice. And so the mantra here is do more and try harder and you will please God. And yes, we're supposed to engage in spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and fasting and prayer and meditation and silence and solitude and service and all of that. But pietism taken to an extreme makes us feel like, well, you're just not doing enough. You just don't measure up. And God is probably kind of ticked at you because you're probably just not who you're supposed to be. Don't fall into the ditch of pietism. I want you to see what Scripture says. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work. Work. Some of us are stuck in our spiritual life because we're not working. You don't get up early. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't fast. You don't give. And you're stuck spiritually because you're not working. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work. That sounds like pietism. Then he goes on, for it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. That sounds like quietism. You're not going to advance in your sanctification, in your growth as a Christian, if you don't discipline yourself, if you don't work and labor and strive and make every effort to grow in Christ. And you're not going to advance in your sanctification, if, in your growth as a Christian, if you don't learn in the midst of all of your striving to be still and to rest, and to trust, and to Sabbath, and to experience shalom. So be passionate about both striving and stillness, working and resting, diligence and 
dependence. The great spiritual leader, Matthew Henry, he wrote this on a commentary in Isaiah chapter 40. He, God, gives strength and power to his people and helps them by enabling them to help themselves. He will help the willing. He will help those who, in a humble dependence upon him, help themselves. He will help them that help themselves and will do well for those who do their best. So listen, help yourself. Do your best. As a follower of Jesus, you know what the disciplines are. Read your Bible. Pray. Get in a life group. Go serve. You know what you're supposed to do. Do it with all of your effort, with fear and trembling, he says. But do it in a dependent way. Do it in a dependent way. God is not going to go interview for that job for you. You got to do that. God is not going to raise your children for you. You have to do that. God's not going to write a Bible study for you. You have to do that. But you got to help yourself in a God-dependent way. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And, and if you abide in me, you stay connected to me, you remain in me, you stay in me, then you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Well, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. You just quoted Jesus earlier saying, work while it's day, because night's coming when no one can work. And now you're saying we can do nothing. So which is it? What does Jesus want? Does he want me to work or does he want me to just abide? Answer, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> we are to work while staying connected to Jesus, while being dependent on Jesus. So he calls us to be diligently dependent and dependently diligent. That's the way we're supposed to live this life. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So that's dependence, right? That's kind of the quietism stuff. And then he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. All the apostles, hey, Peter, I outworked you, dude. Right? James, I outworked you. And now we're talking about the pietism part. That's the diligence part. And then he hurries up and he says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Now we're back to dependence. Listen, you may have heard somebody say, work as if everything depends on you and pray as if everything depends on God. Not good. Because if you're working as if everything depends on you, then you're not really depending on God. I think a better way to say it is this. Pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on God. Because everything does depend on God. Right? So brainstorm with me. All right? I want you to talk with me. Again, no Sunday school answers. About how we're going to be dependent on God. How can you grow, practically speaking, in your dependence on God? All right, pray before your day. Very good. What's that? Okay, pray during your day. All right, who's going to say the next one? All right, pray at the end of your day. 
Hey, you know what? We're laughing, but it is, that's, a, that's some good advice, right? That's some good advice. How about something like this? How about set a prayer alarm? I mean, if you're with me sometimes, uh, just at 10.02, my, my phone goes off. And people look at me and go, dude, that's a pretty late wake-up call, isn't it? You know? I'm going, no, 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 that's not what it is. Um, Mary and I got married on October 2nd, 1976. <laughs> and when that goes off, it reminds me, stop just for a second and pray for Marianne. Pray for you. Pray for your marriage. Um, at at 9.12, my phone goes off a couple days a week. What's that? September 12th, our first child was born. Alan, pray for Alan. And so I got all this built into my phone to just to remind me, this is when you pray for Joanne, this Joanna, this is when you pray for Ethan and Caleb and Alan and Ryan and Evan and Marianne and yourself, you know, I'm saying, look, builds, I know that I tend to be on the pietism side of the equation. So I have to figure out ways to help me be more dependent. Give me some other examples. What else? All right. Stop worrying about stuff you can't change. Instead of worry, pray. Ephesians chapter 4. Declare your dependence. All right. Give me an example. How do you do that, Dale? Okay, <laughs> just say, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I got no clue, help me. Yeah. What's that? All right, share God with others. How about this one? Sing. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. I mean, he doesn't care if it's bad. <laughs> he just wants to hear it. And I need to hear that. How about this? A prayer app. All right. How many of you have a prayer app? Raise your hand. All right. 1.5% of you. I'm just telling you, get a prayer app. It's, they're free. And when I walk around my neighborhood, I got my phone. You know, boy, he's addicted to his phone. You know what? Sometimes I am addicted to my phone, but, but sometimes I'm praying. And you can personalize these prayer apps, create prayers, take some prayers out of Valley of Vision, put it right in your phone. Look, we got to come up with ways to increase our dependency on God. Be dependent and say to yourself, I will not let this half-truth, God helps those who help themselves, rob me of my dependence. I'm not going to fall on the help-yourself side of things. Because remember, it's twice as hard to kill a half-truth as it is to kill a whole lie. So here's a prayer for today, part two of the prayer. Lord God Almighty, you are helper of the helpless. I admit there's nothing I can do to save myself from my sins. Therefore, I place my trust in Jesus that I can do nothing apart from you. I'm just a branch. Branches, by the way, don't go, oh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to bear some fruit. Boom, and then there's a cluster of grapes. I mean, that's not what happens, right? 
They just stay connected to the vine. And it's the vine that gives the life, that produces the fruit. Teach me to depend totally on you when I diligently labor for you and for others in Jesus' name. Amen. Be dependent. All right, I got two minutes and 50 seconds for the last point. Be generous. First is be what? Helpless. Second is be. Third is be generous. When you hear the phrase, God helps others to help themselves, be generous. Because we're confronted sometimes with people in need, and we might not use the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, to give us a pass, but sometimes that's the way we think. You see somebody that's homeless, they need help. But you know, you've encountered somebody that's homeless in the past, and they actually took advantage of the system, and, and maybe they weren't really helping themselves, and so you go, you know, well, they're not helping themselves, so I'm not going to help them either. And sometimes that may be true. And you don't want to create dependence, and you don't want to be an enabler or anything like that, but... We have to be careful not to allow our skepticism and cynicism to kind of kick in time after time, day after day. Because if our skepticism erodes our generosity, then we are not very much like Jesus. See, when Jesus comes inside your life, he takes the spirit and puts generosity in your life. And you remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, right? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did I see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king says, truly, truly, I say to you, as you have done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Listen, those aren't just suggestions. I think that Jesus actually literally expects us to do these kinds of things. So, Where's the sick person you've visited? The prisoner you've visited? The, the, the hungry person you've fed? The thirsty person you've given something to drink? I mean, I think you take a list like this and you go, Lord, I don't want to go to heaven having never done any of these things. Because, well, God helps those who help themselves, and they're not really helping themselves, so I'm not going to help them either. Listen, right here in Northeast Ohio, there are sick people that can't help themselves. What are we going to do about that? There are poor people who need help before they can help themselves. What are we going to do about that? There are refuge, refugees that are having a hard time understanding our language and our systems. What are we going to do about that? There are children who can't read. What are we going to do about that? There are people suffering from mental illnesses that cannot help themselves. What are we going to do about that? And there are unborn children in the womb who are in danger of being aborted, truly helpless people. What are we going to do about that? Listen, James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. What orphan have you helped? What widow have you helped? God helps those who cannot help themselves. And sometimes the way he wants to help them is through his body, the church. You and me, we're his hands, we're his feet. We're supposed to be Jesus with skin on in this world. So give some money and write some checks and volunteer to serve. And maybe talk with our missions pastor, Rick Imers, or go to cvcmissions.org and sign up to help one of our Big Ten ministries. You know, I got tons and tons of room to grow in this area, so please know I'm talking to myself here today. But I do very much enjoy, at the end of each month, opening up my key bank account, and I go to bill pay, and I've got these ministries, this church, 
with our general fund and the unleashed fund, and then I've got other ministries that I try to give money to help them from Marianne and me. So what is the Spirit saying to you right now about your generosity? Be generous. And say to yourself, this half-truth, God helps those who help themselves, is not going to steal from me my generosity. Beware of the half-truth because you might be holding the wrong half. So be what? Helpless, be dependent, and be be generous. God helps those that help themselves. Well, if understood rightly, it's partially true. But I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely 100% true is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. Let me just end with a few verses. Think about those issues that you need help with in your life right now. Maybe health, maybe kids, maybe finances, maybe relationships. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 72.12, for he delivers the needy when he calls. You've got to call. The poor in him who has no helper. He's waiting to help people that have no helper. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You're, you're not asking somebody that can't do anything about your issue. You're asking somebody who made everything we see. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So since all of that is true, God helps the helpless because of who he is. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. So what's your need today? Again, coming forward and kneeling, there's nothing magic about it, but sometimes taking a step and coming forward just shows God, I'm dependent on you. I need your help. It can be a step of faith. So we're just going to have the, the front open here. And Dale and Jackie are here. Others are here. I'll pray for some of you that want to come up. But just come and kneel. Brian's going to play for just a little bit. So would you stand? And for those of you that need prayer about something, just make your way forward, and we'll pray. <laughs>